Hey everybody, welcome to Applying to Everything, a show about our passions, the world, and where they overlap. I'm your host, Bruno Falcon. This week, I sit down with comedian, lawyer, and all-around badass Gigi Modric to talk about comedy, native identity, and kicking ass on stage and on skates. Enjoy. <laughs> this is um, a, a new experience. I've had one opportunity to be on a podcast, but it wasn't as professional. God, I hope she never hears this as this one. Um, so for people who cannot see us, which is everyone but us, mm. I can only see Bruno's eyes. That's The blazing blue eyes of Bruno Falcon. <laughs> And now the deep red br- blush. <laughs> no, nope, can't Falcon. see the blush. Can't see the blush. It's behind the screen. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah, the pop screens—they throw people because it's crazy. You know, it's it's tough <laughs> when you're not recording in a booth. I mean, I I also, you know, you can get away with not using them, but I just get—I don't know. It definitely adds a level of, uh, I don't know, mystique mystery i don't i what words do i want you have more words than i do granted you have fewer years you definitely have more words (laughs) um i've been told that i have that i put on a podcast voice which none of our listeners well no at least half of our listeners have heard Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, that when i'm on the show there's a cadence i i slip into the npr space i can see that a Um, little bit but this is still very true to your speaking, uh, your natural speaking. What I'm saying is you are always on a podcast. <laughs> Truman Show-esque as my life is. Um, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, which is apropos, I guess. Yeah. Considering that I'm just taking the thing I like doing and being like, let's just do that for work always. That is amazing. And I'm with you. And I want to do that, too. It's fun. So, speaking of what you like to do, <laughs> uh, we met uh, when we started doing improv. We were both in the same level one course. And if I remember correctly, you took the level one improv course because you'd been trying to get into the DC Improv stand-up course. Correct. And that thing is never open. Mm-hmm. Um, but you ended up in improv. And eventually you got, got into the stand-up thing, too. Yes. So my question is, what drew you to doing comedy in the first place? I have always wanted to do comedy. I've always wanted to either act or be a comedian or do a combination of the two. I was too scared to try. And um, it wasn't until I had a large life change where I felt like I lost everything that I was like, well, if there's nothing more to lose why not finally try to do something you've always wanted? And so I I pursued the five minutes to funny at the DC Improv, Mm -hmm. and they never post when the class is open, (laughs) and then it sells out within minutes. And so I I started to do the regular improv classes, thinking that if I could get my foot in the door that way and get people to like me, they'll maybe tell me when they're going to (laughs) post and maybe give me a heads up. So... And that's exactly what happened. I, you know, once you're a grand deep into <laughs> classes, they'll start to start to give you some uh, 
heads up on more ways you can spend your money there. I swear that we have we've given <laughs> Chris, Chris and Allison at least a mortgage payment each in oh, yeah. classes there. Absolutely. God. All been worth it. Totally worth it. Life changing. Great friendships have sprung from there. And I've noticed that everyone who's actually done the class has started to do other things to improve their lives and pursue their passions. So it's just, it's a jumping off point for turning yourself into who you want to be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I talked to Chris a little bit about that when he was on the show, um, that it's one of his favorite things about, you know, watching his students go and do this thing. I mean, and Dara... Yeah. When Dara was on, it was just like she started She started the personal chef thing because of, you know, diving into that class and, you know, cutting the cord. Yeah. And I guess to some extent, I've, I, I don't think I'd, I would have started the podcast when I did if I hadn't done it. And I don't think I would be moving my career the way I'm moving my career if I hadn't started the podcast. So that's awesome. You know, it all, it all kind of, kind of ties together. Do you recall, is it Del Close, who's the improv guru? What was his saying about jump first? Figure it out on the way down. Yeah. 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 I think once you. You do it once. Yeah. And then you get kind of addicted to it. Yep. And taking that leap is tough the yep. first couple times. I mean, what was I like? I remember I remember the first time we did stage work with improv. Um, I was really chill the day of and then had five minutes before we got on stage where I was like, everything's going to suck. <laughs> and then had 30 seconds of, oh, right. And that doesn't matter. Yeah. And then, and then I lost an hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I have no, I have no recollection of an hour of my time after that. Oh my um, gosh. But I, how was that? Stand up is a different animal and I've like done open mics, but I haven't done stand up the way you've done stand up. Yeah. What, what was it like? What was it like really throwing yourself into that set and putting yourself, putting so much of yourself into telling a story and refining it and, and knowing that you're yeah. going to have to keep putting it out there and getting it, getting it closer and closer to what you wanted? Yeah. So a lot of folks will use the word brave. And if you talk to a lot of comedians who've been doing this for a while, that's a, that's not a concept that reaches our mind because it's not so much bravery or courage. It's just a lack of fucks given. And so if you have if you have no sense and no care about what people are actually thinking of you when they when they look at you and hear the words come out of your mouth, then it makes it so much easier. So so abandoning society's constructions of how you should be and who you should be and what's okay to talk about mm -hmm. is the first step and then um, as you know you've been to a lot of my shows so thank you and you've seen me just put things out there like divorce and dating and weight mm -hmm. and um, every insecurity that I have I'm trying to beat everyone to the punch I'm trying <laughs> to make sure like if I bring it up you know how you meet people maybe if you have like a blemish you're like oh mm -hmm. I can't I can't Sorry about this blemish on my face. You think that if you beat them to it, somehow they they won't notice it afterwards? I don't know. So I'm beating everyone else to the punch in my life um, mm -hmm. so that I put all this shit out there first. And then they're still like, oh, no, but you're still fine. We're just going to polish you up a little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you still <Well>. shine. <laughs> um, but getting a set together is, um, it takes a long time. But 
the starting point is I will have something that makes me giggle. Mm-hmm. I will have a thought that makes me giggle. Mm-hmm. And an example of that is I went to the doctor recently mm-hmm. to talk about my weight. And I I just keep gaining it. And I wanted to get some blood work done. I was really hoping for a thyroid problem because I didn't want my <laughs> weight problem to be something that I actually had control over. <laughs> I wanted a pill to be the, the answer. And unfortunately... <laughs> Everyone with the thyroid problem listening to this is super angry, but unfortunately, <laughs> it's just apathy is my weight control issue. And um, so you're giggling now. These are thoughts in my head. Mm-hmm. These are mm-hmm. hopes and dreams that I've had <laughs> that have been dashed. And my my doctor, she's great. She's flippant and she's wonderful. And she did my BMI for me. And she sat me down. She's like, all right, Gigi, you are obese. I said, okay. And so since she knows me well, she stopped and she said, let's try to get to overweight. (laughs) 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 Again, a thing that has happened. These are just nuggets of gold, Mm -hmm. like comedic gold. And it happens to everyone. And I know it's happened to you. You've told me stories where it's just so funny. (laughs) Life happens. Life's too ridiculous not to have a sense of humor yeah you know even even when things are going great there's always going to be something you're going to get a pie in the face and if you're not (laughs) going to laugh about it then if you're not going to laugh about it and taste the pie then you're just missing the whole point yeah um in my i was going to say humble opinion but i started a show so i could literally talk to people about my opinion so not so much we'll just take the humble out of it lose the humble (laughs) unless it's humble pie that you're, <laughs> that's in your face and you're tasting it, then it can be your humble opinion. Yeah. You are a person who has a surprising number of extracurriculars in my book. <laughs> Just because <laughs> because what I when when we met, you were getting into improv, trying to get into stamp stand up and getting back into a roller derby. Yes. It seems to me that being able to spend an hour on skates throwing punches would very much prepare someone for being on stage in front of an angry crowd. Absolutely. Has that been the case in your in your experience? In my experience, I think not so much the roller derby has prepared me for hecklers so much as being a woman my entire life. Because Fair. I started to Fair. think about how would I handle hecklers? And it scared me. And then I thought, well, probably much like how I handle cat callers. <laughs> and so depending on the day, it would be either ignore 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 Mm -hmm. or just rage Mm -hmm. like answer with absolute rage Mm -hmm. so roller derby um requires most people to sign waivers and have health insurance i cannot get hecklers to sign waivers and also maintain health insurance so um you can't punch hip checking them (laughs) is out of the question unfortunately although now you've given me ideas to have an intimate show where people sign waivers upon entry. <laughs> we'll call it full contact comedy. And um, whoever gets a bloody nose gets a free drink. And I get like what? Two, five percent on the inside? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and by two, five, I meant 25. <laughs> I'll take it. You know, I was putting, I was throwing a, throwing a hyphen in there, but I will, I will. 
lose that hyphen. Um, <laughs> I'll take twenty five percent. I'm down with I'm down with twenty five percent. The white man said to the Indian. And then he took 100. It's okay. It's oh, fine. It's fine. Um, I know. These well, white guilt yeah, jokes. Yeah, oh, God. No. I mean, you know, we get there. We get there fast. <laughs> I, you know. Uh, I'm sorry. I swear if I could take it all back. I've uh, been told that my white guilt game is mm-hmm. on point. Oh, yes. And I think the only thing that would make it better is if I were a full blood Indian. As opposed to this share half blood crap that I... Mm. I, I love my dad. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad, for the height. <laughs> God, this is going to be a nightmare to edit. I've been I'm snorting so into my mic the whole. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, you know, it's just going to be. It's going to be fun for people to listen to. It's going to be fun for me to listen to back. It's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> so speaking, I mean, speaking of, um, are you cool if we talk about? the work you do a little bit yeah. peripherally cool um so speaking of as if being a you know as if roller derby and stand-up weren't high impact enough you're a lawyer at, at interior yeah. which is i mean before 2016 i could only imagine how intense it was and now good god i remember when you first started out you were thinking about integrating more of your work into some of your stand-up yes um how has that happened a lot or do you do you like see do you see stand-up bleeding into work at all like in the way you're you know interacting with people i definitely um see stand-up bleeding into work more as opposed to work bleeding into Mm stand-up i am often asked to give trainings and present Mm -hmm. despite the fact that i am not the expert Mm -hmm. But people tend to listen to me, and mm-hmm. that's because it's entertaining for them. And we're going away from my substance of work and just more into the delivery of words. Mm-hmm. But I have found that the occasional F-bomb or the occasional casual, not angry curse word mm-hmm. will just break the tension in a room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've done that. I've also been able to meet with some high level politicals who are surprised. <laughs> You're going to love this. <laughs> okay. Oh no. I'm preparing. Hmm. No. So I was in a meeting and I took note that I was the only female in mm-hmm. the room. And I was also the only person of color mm-hmm. in the room. And the meeting direction was not going the way I had hoped it would but I was also the lowest ranking person in the room. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if I was there f- for ornamentation or for my substantive knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I assumed the latter. And words that needed to be said were not. So I said those words. And the way everyone in the room looked at me, finally the room was focused. Mm-hmm. Because earlier, all the gentlemen were just looking around. Finally, mm-hmm. the room was focused. Everyone looked at me. And it was almost as if they were looking at a talking husky saying, like, And I don't know if they heard <laughs> the substance that came out of the, my mouth. But they all looked at me like, oh, she's talking. <laughs> 
That's so unfortunate and amazing. Look at how cute she is. <laughs> and I love that story. And all I can think about is that gif of the husky with peanut butter in his mouth saying hello. No. That's so funny. That's what I felt like. Oh, that sucks. Who knows? Maybe they actually heard me. I have no idea. No. Um, I mean, hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No. But I forget. I for I forget that I. Well, not as much lately. Am generally the constant optimist that you are often the counterpoint to that. Yes. If the thing that pays the bills gets into the thing that I want to pay the bills, mm-hmm. um, I'm wary about talking too much about work work and mm-hmm. comedy i am unafraid to talk about being an indian woman mm-hmm. and i've explained this to you but i'll explain it to the listeners i use the word indian mm-hmm. instead of native american sure. or american indian because that is what we are called in our constitution mm-hmm. that is what we are called in in the bills or legislations introduced today mm-hmm. and that's what we are referred to as in the code of federal regulations so as a lawyer Mm-hmm. who is an Indian, that is the word I use for us. Um, you're not incorrect if you use Native American. You're not incorrect if you use American Indian. You are a douchebag if you use Native American Indian. <laughs> that's just... I've heard it's it just, before. It's just redundant. Just covering all the bases. It's just wordy. <laughs> God, if you're taking the time to say all that, like, quick, like, instead of saying Native American Indian, it's like... <laughs> Maybe what nation are you from, or yeah. what nation are you a part of? And so enlightened. If, if you're gonna, well, I'm just saying, if you're gonna use that many words, yeah, like be productive about it. Yep. Again, said the guy who started a podcast just to talk. I'm, <laughs> God, you're just sharing that beautiful voice with the world. Well, I'm a character of contradiction. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so. How do you find that being Native American comes up in your comedy? I mean, like, you know, I can see I can see the ways it it would. And you've talked a little bit about playing with people's white guilt. But how do you like is it something that is sort of a through line or do you have a specific track of jokes or or how do you usually play that? So there's a few things with regard to my Indianness that come into comedy. And the first is just that I want to address is just using it as a comedic vehicle. I have an actual Indian friend from India who doesn't think that it's a pardon a trope that I should use. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you don't want to be the Indian, the Native American comedian, do you? I thought, well, if people know me, then yeah, sure. I want to be the Native American <laughs> comedian that they know. Um, but he's, he's helped challenge me on whether or not I want that to be something that I rely upon. And I, I, I think it is. I think it is something I want to rely upon because Indian country needs more mentors. Indian country needs more people um, in mainstream America Mm -hmm. to be able to look up to. Not Mm -hmm. that I'm worthy of looking up to, but like they need to be able to point to something else and say, I can be a comedian. I can be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I can be a doctor. Mm -hmm. I can be the president. Yeah. Um, So yes, I would love to be something that Indian country can be proud of. Mm -hmm. Uh, as far as the comedy goes, I, I've worked with a friend of mine who who is also at Department of Interior with me. I run a lot of my jokes by her. Mm-hmm. She um, 
she's Native American. She's half like me. Uh, she's very traditional. And she has helped me rewrite a lot of things to make sure that my people in Indian country in general are not the butt of jokes. Mm-hmm. That we can flip it and just give people, give mainstream America a look at how they perceive us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite sets that I've been able to write it sounds so egotistical. One of the favorite things that I say <laughs> hmm, um, is is an observation of how people react when they find out that I'm Native American. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be, we, we all know the, the buzzword, cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anytime, and this is, many Indians have had this experience, you're, if you're speaking to a non-Indian, you'll tell them you're a Native American and they'll say, I'm Native American too. And so there's this instant appropriation of identity. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's malicious, and I don't think it's meant to belittle the person they're talking to, the mm-hmm. Indian they're talking to, who's lived as an Indian, who's had Indian experiences. Mm-hmm. I think it is just a desperate attempt to connect and maybe even a, an attempt to put distance between genocide and the Native American right. they're talking to. I was going to say. Um, so I, I think there's that. So one of the sets that I've written has, has been about meeting someone on the metro, saying I'm Native American, and it can go four ways. They can say, oh, I'm Native American too, and they conjure up a great-great-grandmother who was a Cherokee princess. Mm-hmm. I congratulate them on nailing that royalty. Um, if they don't have a great-great-grandmother who is a royal person mm-hmm. and a tribe, uh, they know an Indian, and so they'll start shouting Indian-sounding names at you. You know, do you know uh, Timothy, you know, Brave Horse? Do you know, like, Joshua Standing Rock? Do you know? Mm-hmm. And my joke is my Indian telepathy shuts off and my ability to sense other Indians in a 25-mile radius mm-hmm. ceases. Mm-hmm. If they can't do those two things, they'll look at me and say, oh, I see it now. <laughs> I see it. It's the hair. It's your cheekbones. It's the way one glistening tear falls down your face every time you see litter. I see it. And then if they can't do any of those things, they'll just like tell you the plot of um, dancing with wolves. Like, so there's a there's a need a need to connect. Mm-hmm. And I want to make people aware of that. And maybe they can reflect, why do I feel this need to connect? Right. Yeah. Because I I can totally appreciate, especially for white America, the need to create a a point of connection to distance themselves from the looming and lingering guilt. (laughs) Um, You know, which is totally natural and not super productive. Um, Because I think it's it's also an attempt to bridge this gap of ignorance mm-hmm. i think most most white americans don't know all that much about native cultures like they don't they don't have a decent track record for <laughs> like what what even are the various nations and what were the various nations at the very beginning and how did all of that change because you know it's really easy for people to talk about the blanket and i think we have to address that issue first we being you know white folks um, have to address that issue in ourselves first 
and then recognize that even in addressing that issue, we have only just started to broach the bigger problem, which is we're talking about a peoples that covered two continents mm. less than 500 years ago and that were as diverse and multitudinous as similar looking but extremely diverse european nations like if Mm -hmm. it's kind of like you know talking about somebody who's from italy in the same general terms as you talk about somebody from scandinavia correct like you know you can't talk about somebody from the mediterranean sorry someone from italy and someone from norway and then i was going to say you can't talk about somebody from the mediterranean and somebody from scandinavia as if they're the same they fall under the same blanket they don't I think it's it's really cool to take the it's really cool to take the narrative and flip it in a way that I think, you know, one of the cool things about comedy in my experience is that you can talk about things that are challenging in a way that don't throw up all of the alerts that people have set up in their heads yes. not to be offended or to be offended by a thing. Yes. I try to write in a way that will still embrace the audience. There there are a lot of comedians out there who have an attitude, it's neither good nor bad, but the attitude is that I'm going to say what I want to say and I don't give a fuck who I offend. And I can be viewed as a sellout in the fact that, no, I want the audience to come with me on this comedic journey and Mm -hmm. I want us all to laugh together and I want us all to feel good at the end of it. Mm -hmm. I don't want one person to stand up and walk out angry because Mm -hmm. I've lost that person. So... It's been a delicate balance to try and honor Indian country and be cognizant of our realities while sharing that with mainstream America. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also you 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 shoot away the 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 courageous aspect, the courageous uh, descriptor <laughs> earlier on, which I which I get. I do think that it is it's an active choice to be a type of ambassador or it's an active choice to take on a positive representation. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a choice to take on that representational mode, like to, to try and be representative of a community in a way that both is true to true to the community in a fair way that recognizes, you know, your individual experience versus the, you know, the individual experience of others in the community. And, that embraces the inherent fears and (laughs) baggage and complication that comes along with an audience that you're trying to educate through that type of entertainment or at least push to question and i think it's like like david cross can get away with offending a whole bunch of fucking people because he's a white dude what's he talking about like he can he can be he can offend an audience that looks like him into thinking about things differently but if you come up against you know if you come up against an audience that the second they associate you as being an other is Mm going to already have a hard time holding on you know if you unless you're unless the point is to push them away or the point is to silo so you're only doing com like only doing comedy for a certain Mm -hmm. audience of people that's a really I think I I personally think that that's a courageous choice and a and and a really big one. Thank you. I'd never thought of it like that, and now I will be f- scared. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I've undone all of the good I meant to do. Uh, day one. Um, no. <laughs> so 
in your experience, how much like do you find yourself floundering? Like, do you find yourself sort of, you know, do you like, do you find yourself stepping forward and finding that the floor wasn't there? And and how are there ways that you like deal with that, both in stand up and sort of in the day to day? So I think um, delusion is a big part of it, and. <laughs> One of my favorite um, observations that a friend made to me, he said, damn it, Gigi, I, I love your attitude for comedy. I said, really, why? And he's like, you know, whether or not you go up there and kill it or you, you go up there and bomb, like you come off stage and you're smiling and you're happy. And my only response to him was, I bomb? Like, <laughs> it hadn't dawned on me before that other people weren't enjoying it as much as I was. Um, so I have had times where I bombed. I have had times where I've stepped and there's no floor there. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are awful. And those are the nights you go home and you say, this isn't for me. Uh, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm crazy. Why am I running myself ragged trying to hit mics? I'm not funny. And then you go outside again mm-hmm. and you see a pigeon sitting on a mountain of crumbs attacking all the other <laughs> pigeons that are trying to get to his mountain of crumbs, which is more than he could ever eat. And you think to yourself, I must share this story with the world. <laughs> and you go back to Mike and you kill. So it's just... Um, I mean, every day. So we learn this. We learn this in comedy. Um, and I think it's true in stand-up as well. Whereas improv, you have your improv team. Mm-hmm. And nobody fails. You fail together. Mm-hmm. Like, it is everyone. Mm-hmm. And for stand-up, your team is the audience. And the same set with the same cadence and same delivery will absolutely kill an audience in the best of ways in one room and bomb mm-hmm. in another room. Um, so it's it's maybe uh, the thing that keeps you going is trying to find that perfect audience <laughs> for your jokes. Yeah. So we fail together, we succeed together. Mm-hmm. And uh, my life is just a series of small failures. So <laughs> I just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like the audience shares that responsibility? Like the like not the responsibility. Do you feel like when on a night when the set doesn't go well, do you feel like the responsibility you have for the way the set went is shared with the room or or do you feel like is it something that you share only in success or I I should feel like my failures are my own, but no, I like to share the wealth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like to put blame on other people, mm-hmm. whether it's the asshole comedian before me that shut them off completely. <laughs> so there was no saving them mm-hmm. or, um, you know, the drunk woman in the audience who was just heckling the shit out of me. Like I, I like to blame other people mm-hmm. who doesn't, yeah. who doesn't. I know people say, if you were good, if you were, <laughs> if you were a good comedian, you could make any audience laugh. And I think that's bullshit. Because <laughs> there's also that saying, you can't please all the people all the time. Mm-hmm. And then it, it goes on to say more, but I forget. <laughs> a comedian who can read a crowd very well can mm-hmm. make any audience laugh. But that doesn't mean like 
if you're but i i think to the point you made earlier if you're doing comedy that way you're not doing you're not doing stand up you're you're doing house shows like you're not you're not doing a set you're doing kind of milk toast improv that's mm-hmm. not fair but you're like I, I feel like there's no way that like your jokes aren't going to not all your jokes are going to deliver the same way i think yeah. seasoned comedians like comedians who've been doing this for years have a backlog of material so mm-hmm. that if they feel a room starting to go a certain way and it's and something isn't hitting but something earlier did they can d- dig into the archive and bring out something that would work for a room like this absolutely but that's not the same you know that's that kind of skill is built on years and years and years of those jokes not working at all let alone in that room yeah so as able i'm 15 months into my stand-up career Mm-hmm. And for the first time ever, it was last Saturday, I was able to read a room. I had my set planned mm-hmm. and I knew the jokes I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I was like maybe eighth up and, and listening to the other comedians and watching the crowd react to them. I realized it, it was a dick and fart room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had to put aside my... Um, immigration <laughs> observations mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I went with the dick and fart jokes and it <laughs> killed. So it is, you're absolutely right. Like I'm starting, I actually have enough material now mm-hmm. where I can sub out jokes at on a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's getting exciting. It's getting exciting that I have, I now have a toolkit to pull from yeah. and I'm starting to be able to, react in the middle of a set i used to whenever i got the light i'm sure you had that when somebody would give you the light if you have five minutes total um someone in the back of the room will shine a flashlight at you when you have one minute left Mm -hmm. as you know and um, i used to be like a deer cotton headlight so i would only ever get four minutes of material in because i would stop as soon as i saw that light Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but now i know approximately what a minute of talking feels like and can sub in jokes it's good it's good and also to point out that you know seasoned touring comedians can always have the crowd on their side it's a stacked deck because those are fans yeah no and that's and that's the other thing yeah you have you have people there who know Mm -hmm. who know your material and and you're and assuming that you have had any hand in picking the openers who are going to be on board with the openers that you chose mm-hmm. and who want to like they want to hear these jokes and they want to hear your new jokes and uh and you know they're going to they're going to go there with you mm-hmm. they're going to trust you enough to go there with you yeah um and maybe this is a question i should ask you in 6 months do you think that you've gotten better at winning people to trusting what you have to say early on like it, as you're doing more presentation stuff at work as you're getting deeper into stand-up do you feel like you've you know got a handle on i can win you over in two sentences and then take you where i need to take you my i do and in six months i probably still will feel that way <laughs> and hopefully i'll be better mm-hmm. um, but my strategy there is to compliment the audience first mm-hmm. i always tell them how beautiful they are and people love being told they're beautiful. Even if you're a man, it still feels a little good. Uh, rewind the tape like 20 minutes to when she <laughs> talked about my eyes. <laughs> so um, 
Yeah, I, I'm getting better. Uh, some of my friends have told me they that it, they're jealous of my ability to win the crowd over, actually. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's good. I think I I try to have a comedic cadence speaking the way I am now. So right. it, I try to be as natural as possible. It's hard. It's actually, it's it's amazing how hard it is to be natural. Yeah. Like, when, you, when you think about it, it's not easy. It's a struggle. Mm-hmm. So... So um, I've been complimented on how slowly I deliver comedy. <laughs> yeah. Which which is a compliment. Once you get into the comedy world, you'll, so, you'll see people so worried that they're not going to get everything in, that they'll just rush through it. Mm-hmm. And now 15 months into it, I realize I'm not going to get everything in. Mm-hmm. So I might as well just enjoy what I have. Yeah. But yeah, crowd work is is interesting. It's amazing. There's a comedian named Anthony Oakes. Mm-hmm. He's uh, also a radio broadcaster. He's he is what everyone should aspire to be as far as crowd work goes. He can host the shit out of anything, mm-hmm. and he brings that energy up, and he makes the crowd feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. Plus, then he adds comedy to it. Yeah. So yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an amazing skill, and I hope to hone it a little more. Do you think that as you you know as you get deeper into the comedy world, as you sort of I don't know, are you thinking about transitioning full time to comedy, and are you thinking about transitioning into like other like not just stand up, but like other sorts of stuff, like I don't know, like podcasting or like trying to get into the acting world? I know DC isn't New York or LA, but it, we've got a little bit of it going on. There is a good scene here, and there's a very it's a very sophisticated scene here mm-hmm. in DC, both for comedy and it's getting better opportunities for acting. Mm-hmm. The short answer is yes. Yeah. Yes, I want to abandon the law. I don't think this lawyer thing's working out. <laughs> I'd like to go ahead and trade that all in mm-hmm. for a shot at being a nationally known comedian. Mm-hmm. I, um, If I could get jokes to pay the bills, that would be the most ideal situation. Mm-hmm. And there are so many avenues to becoming a professional comedian. You could do the cruise circuit. You could do colleges, theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, you could try and aspire to the Patton Oswalt, you know, Mike Birbiglia mm-hmm. status, which mm-hmm. I would love to do. And um, <laughs> I would, honestly, like, I, it would be great to have a, a strong Native American female who is a nationally known comedian. Yeah, It would just... I mean, just for myself, that would be a great thing to have. Um, Angela Johnson is a Native American Latina, and the way she markets herself, she comes off as more on the Latina end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's one that we can look to. It's amazing in 15 months what you've done in the D.C. community scene or in the D.C. comedy scene. Like you've made a big splash you've made a name for yourself you've gotten connected you committed to doing the thing all the way Mm -hmm. um and i feel like that's a big part of it like that's step one is do the find the thing you want to do and then just do it enthusiastically emphatically and constantly just do it um which is awesome the advice the unsolicited advice that i give to everyone is 
success in anything, it's 90% is just showing up. Mm-hmm. Just show the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Like, that's in relationships. That's in your job. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really for anything. Just show up. So that's what I've been trying to do. And I, I also understand that I know nothing. I, Jon Snow, I know nothing. <laughs> and... Um, I'm always very open to hearing advice, getting feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my non-comedian friends have sent me notes on my sets and how to improve them. Mm-hmm. And they're afraid to give them to me. Well, not really, because they give them to me. Right. But they're afraid it will affect our friendship. Sure. And it won't, um, because I want all the help I can get. Mm-hmm. I mean, one other thing I think I'm trying to learn more that I think a lot of people who start out in like trying to do entertainment or, or media production or anything have to, I said one, the two things that you have to do, um, you have to learn how to separate criticism from reality. Yeah. Um, people are going to tell you your shit sucks. People are going to tell you your shit is the best thing that's ever happened. Um, neither of those extremes are true. Um, and you're going to have to you have to learn in the middle space to take what's useful and leave the rest. Um, take recognize that when someone tells you there's an issue with something you're doing, they're not saying it to hurt you. They're saying if they're bothering to tell you about it and it's and it's an actual thing that you that like and it's an actual comment that bothers you, it it means it's it's real. There's something there to look at and because someone's told it to you now you can change it and then the other thing is what you already mentioned a little bit of do it for you like go up and do it for you if no one else enjoys the show if no one else enjoys this show (laughs) that you are listening to right now probably just me editing it after the fact um just do it because you like doing it yeah and if you really like doing it and you, you know, do it and like it enough to keep doing it, you'll get better at it and other people will like it too. And, and even if, even if, you know, you don't get famous doing it, if you want to do something like this, somebody's going to like what you do enough eventually to say, Hey, wait, try this thing or Hey, wait, try that thing. Mm-hmm. So another thing that has come out of our DC improv group mm-hmm. I knew that my friends that I developed there were super cool, but everyone, everyone's so successful and it's been really interesting to see how these friendships transfer into then um, more opportunities. Like mm-hmm. you're giving me this opportunity today and I thank you for it. And it's just interesting to see how just being an awesome person and super cool is organic networking. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> people say you have to network, you have to get out there. And I'm an introvert mm-hmm. and I don't like being around people. And I certainly don't have the patience to suffer fools or small talk. And um, so the, the traditional networking, the awful <laughs> cocktail hour where everyone's in a suit, I can't mm-hmm. do that. I'll go to an improv class, play the shit out of some improv, mm-hmm. and um, then be on Bruno Falcon's podcast later. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I will say uh, that I've learned in the production world is that networking events are, in my experience, 
generally just fun parties. That was a that was a totally self indulgent thing. What I'm gonna say is, <laughs> thank you, um, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for thank you for you know, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for being absolutely hilarious. Um, because the the fun thing about taking the risk and doing the show is that it's ninety nine percent an excuse for me to talk to people I find interesting or fun to talk to and uh expense some recording equipment on my taxes at the end of the year (laughs) Um, because it's you know it's just fun it's just fun and i think at this point i've i've unofficially committed to having everyone we got through level 4b xyz i could have probably bought a car by now oh my god yeah um Mm -hmm. i think but Thank you. Um, thank you for being on and for just being absolutely hilarious. <laughs> it's an awkward time where like, do you, do you hug him? Do we, do we, are, are we, well, no, but there's a mic in the way. Yeah. Is, there, like the show, is the show over? Yeah, I don't I don't know. Well, it's kind of like that. Well, I've had, but it's kind of like that moment in, in, in an open mic or a set where it's like, well, they're off stage, but there's still comics. And do I go over and say, no, you should wait until the end of the show. Oh, but I have to like leave. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, it's that time when like someone comes up to you, they've already done their set, and they're like, "Oh, I liked your set," and you have nothing to say back to them. It's like, "Oh, thanks." It's like, thanks for. You know, Gosh, thanks. you're brave. Yeah, wow. <laughs> you know what? I liked. I I liked. You know what? <laughs> I liked your gumption. I really. <laughs> I appreciated your grit. Um, well, well played. Yeah, got Moxie kid. <laughs> you got Moxie kid. <laughs> All right, that, yeah, fuck. I got to figure out how to get You Got Moxie Kid into the end of the show. (laughs) That's our episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You can find out more about Gigi at applyingtoeverything.xyz slash guests. You can also follow her on Instagram at Gigi Modric. Catch her on October 27th at the Broadway Comedy Club in New York City for the Pussy Galore Equal Means Equal Comedy Benefit. Tickets available at PussyGaloreComedy.com. You can also find her on the main stage at the Funny Bone Comedy Club restaurant in Richmond, Virginia on November 29th. You can find out more about the show at applyingtoeverything.xyz or on iTunes and Google Play where you can subscribe to, rate, and review the show. If you're in the DC area and want to see more of the work I do, Check out Laugh Index Theater's Cloaking Device, a long-form improv team I perform with at the DC Arts Center in Adams Morgan. We're performing in a special Halloween showcase, October 28th, doors at 10 p.m. Find out more at laughindextheater.com. Thanks to Humble Fire for the use of our theme song, Mount St. Misery, off of The Great Resolve, available on iTunes, Spotify, and at humblefire.band. I'd also like to thank Kiara Scarcella for designing our logo. Tune in next week for my conversation with Johnny Grave about music, craft, and how things change and stay the same. Talk to you then.